Uh, hey, have any of you noticed um, there's like kind of a growing way of dealing with conflict amongst married people, but also with friends? Uh, and the new way to address conflict in the midst of a relationship is to send your significant other a reel on Instagram or Facebook about what you want to address? <laughs> Has anybody experienced that? I'm just curious. No? Well, it's just me then. Uh, I've like gotten these reels sent to me by, I don't know, random people, the one over there, about how uh, wives just love their dogs more than their husbands. And... Uh, you know, parenting advice. No one else has this happen to them? Seriously? Okay, some of you are being honest, right? Like some people, you get these passive-aggressive, right? Super passive-aggressive Instagram reels or TikTok videos. Just, I thought this one was interesting. I thought you might enjoy it. And of course, you know, the only way to handle that passive-aggressive uh, way of communicating is to find a good response video and send it right back to them. <laughs> Uh, that's what I've heard at least. I, I would not ever do that, of course. But uh, I recently saw this video, though, on Instagram, and it was about this, this guy who grew up in a really uh, challenging environment. Um, he, he got involved in gangs pretty quickly. Um, he, he came from a household of abuse and drug addiction and alcoholism, and, and so he got wrapped up into the gang life and, and then ended up going to to prison for a while. And then in prison, he came to faith in Jesus and somebody led him to the Lord. He got out of prison. And after going through all the necessary, uh, you know, I guess steps, he eventually got hired at this school to be a janitor. And so he was, you know, just every day cleaning up after young kids. And as I was watching the video, it's got all this, you know, B-roll of the things that he's cleaning up. And I just want to say, if you work with elementary aged kids and you are cleaning them up, you are a saint. Can we, right? Yeah, like if you're a teacher or an administrative person or you're involved in elementary age uh, students, I just, you're, you're amazing. And so uh, every day though, he would, would clean up after them. And um, in the, on this video, they ended, the school ended up throwing this big party for him just to share how much they, he had impacted them. And like after you watch the video, you're like, you know, crying. Well, yeah, not me, but other people. And, uh, but he has this interview. I saw this interview, interview where he was talking about how every day when he goes to work, he starts out with this premise of, I want to extend kindness to these kids because I don't know how many of these kids grew up in a home like mine. And I want to be able to impact them in some significant way. And, and as I was watching this video, I just was struck by um, the reality that small random acts of kindness can make a tremendous impact in the world that we live in. And they really do make a difference. And, and we, I saw that in this video because the whole entire school, all the teachers, all the students were just sharing about how these things that he does every single day, these random acts of kindness had made an impact in their lives. And I think as a follower of Jesus, one of the things that we should be known for is kindness. That's something that we should be known for. In fact, I think that is, it's important for us to realize that the gospel of the kingdom, 
The message of Jesus in his work on the cross and the the promise of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that message spread all over the known empire in the first 300 years of the church because of kindness. There's numerous church historians that will tell us that they'll they'll wrestle with that question of how did this, this message of this man named Jesus who had a group of 12 disciples, how did it spread so quickly across the Roman Empire by the fourth century? I mean, there's literally millions of people that became followers of Jesus in such a short span of time. So the question that people have is like, how did that happen? And every church historian who's done any research has determined that the reason why the message of, the, of Jesus and the kingdom spread was because of kindness and hospitality. Because in a brutal world like the ancient world, there was no examples of that. And yet, guess where hospitals came from? The church. Guess where uh, extending hospitality and kindness to non-family members came from? Came from the church, right? They were, they were living, they embodied what they had discovered in their relationship with Jesus And it was really remarkable in the first century that people would help people that weren't part of their immediate family. They reached out to lost and broken people, regardless of where they were at in their family relationships. And so last week, we started this new sermon series that we're calling Conspiracy of Kindness. And last week, we spent some time kind of doing an overview, but we spent some time talking about and looking at how kindness is extended to us first and foremost through Jesus in the gospel. We want to listen to that music. Why don't you just play it a little louder? Whenever my wife calls me, I have a particular Kanye West song called Gold Digger Come On. And it's very awkward when I have to explain that to people. I'm like, I, she's not a gold digger. She's not. I just think it's really funny. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, oh, somebody, somebody put that on my phone. Let me turn it off. All right. So last week we started this sermon series. And we talked about kindness being first extended to us in God. And we saw that in one of the verses that we looked at last week was in Romans 2, 4, uh, which I love this verse. But Paul writes, don't you see how wonderfully kind, how tolerant, other translations will say forbearing and patient God is with you. Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? So Paul is just challenging the Romans. He's saying, hey, listen, if you really understand and grasp the gospel message, if you really understand brokenness as a human being, the brokenness that we we have experienced and what we bring to the table, which is nothing, then you can't help but have gratitude and a response of change of heart and change of life because of who Jesus is. But today what I want to do is I want to dive a little bit deeper into a particular passage that we just read last week. We're going to spend a little bit more time in it, and then we're going to spend some time talking about how to apply it into our lives. And so I'd like to read from Colossians chapter 3, verses 11 through 13, and then we'll pray, and then we'll spend some time talking about it. But Paul writes these words. He says, in this new life, It doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, 
kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Let's pray. Yeah, come Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I I ask for your presence, not because I don't know that you dwell in all of your people, but because I want us to publicly acknowledge our desire for your work to be done this morning. That you would be active in this meeting, that you would calm our fears, that you would bring peace where we're troubled, that you would enlarge the capacity of our heart to know your love, that you would hit us with your truth in a way that does not condemn us, but convicts us and causes us to see the beauty of living the gospel in our lives. Lord, I I ask particularly that each one of us in this room would, would, would grasp one thing that we can add to our lives that we would, we would identify one area of our lives that we can surrender to you, and that you will use each one of us to be conduits of your love and conduits of your kindness to the world around us. And we ask for these things in your mighty name. Amen. So Paul starts off in this passage reminding us that in Christ we have a new life. You know, things are supposed to be different once we meet Jesus. Why? Because we have come to see the one who's um, before us, Jesus, who's a model for for humanity. In fact, I don't know if you've had conversations with like unbelieving people or people who are struggling through their faith, but oftentimes a very common question that I get from people is like, what is God like? What is God like? I mean, we have those questions, right? Have you ever wondered, like, what is God really like? You know, and and what I found, the best answer for that, in fact, the answer that the New Testament gives us is that any question we have about what God is like, we look at Jesus. Jesus, according to scripture, is the express image of God's glory. So when we're trying to wrestle through understanding what type of characteristics and what type of things would God do, we look to Jesus. And Jesus helps us understand what God is like because Jesus reveals to us God's heart. And so we see that right here is that Paul starts out here in this text reminding us that we're in Christ Jesus. In fact, what he's trying to kind of subtly remind the the, the church in Colossae uh, of is that, you know what, your background doesn't really matter. Your, Your background doesn't have to shape your future. And it's not, that it's, it's not that our backgrounds and our family structures and our influences as we're growing up don't impact the way we are. Because the one thing you find out really quickly after you've been married is that you both are from jacked up families. Right? Have you found that to be true? You know, at first you start out and you're like, your family's so weird. And then they're like, your family's really weird. And then you realize about 10 years into it, our families are really weird. And you have to like build from the ground up. And it's great because you work so hard to not mess your kids up like your parents messed you up. And then you mess them up in a completely unique way. Is that fair? All right. Got a lot of wisdom up here in my 45 years. Okay. But that's kind of what it is. And it's not that our backgrounds don't shape us and influence us and impact us in the way that we handle 
challenges or the way that we learn how to communicate or not communicate, it's not that those things don't happen. But what Paul's wanting us to realize is that once you become a follower of Jesus, you are no longer a slave to those patterns. There's a new way of living. There's a new way of doing things. There's a new way of embracing the kingdom that can help shape you for your future. And that's really what Paul's trying to do here is he's trying to say, listen, you might have grown up Jewish. You might have grown up non-Jewish. You might be barbaric. I love that word though, right? This is like you might be an uncivilized, barbaric human being with no concept of these truths. But once you become a follower of Jesus, you are invited into a new way of doing things. You have, you have an invitation to give up the old patterns and to embrace new patterns and new habits and new ways of thinking and new ways of acting. Are you with me? It's, it's, the, it's the gospel message. And so that's why in our church, we have this value of come as you are. And we really do mean it, obviously. Right? Come as you are. But the, the other part of that is that you won't stay as you are. Because as we interface with God and as we, as we connect with God and as, we, as, he, as he speaks truth into our lives, we start to realize that there's things in our life that don't just, they just don't add up. They don't help us to experience abundant life. They don't help us to live in this new pattern. And so we start to adjust the patterns of our life and we surrender. And it's a process, amen? Like we're going through this process, but we need to be in the process. We come as we are, but we don't stay as we are. And so Paul's reminding the church in Colossae of this reality. He's saying, listen, who you used to be doesn't really matter when it comes to your future because now you're in Christ. Your identity is no longer your own. Your identity belongs to Jesus. And he fleshes this out. And, and I was thinking about that all week because one of the, you know, there's a lot of things about being in ministry or being a pastor. I mean, I've been in pastoring for like 25 years. Most of my adult life, I've been in some way, shape, or form of ministry. And there's all these stories. There's a lot of challenges with it, but there's all these stories of people's lives who have been impacted by Jesus. And seeing their lives get put back together is like one of the most beautiful things that I can see. And I want to share with you one quick story from my perspective about somebody in our church who experienced that. And I asked permission to share this story, okay? But Shannon Miller, the hostess with the mostess, is she in here? Yes, yeah, she's right there, okay? Shannon Miller, this is my interpretation. Shannon, we're just going to talk. My interpretation of our first meeting was this, okay? Don't laugh. But Shannon starts coming to the vineyard because her kids were being dragged here by her mom. And you started coming here and there, and she, she came, and, and I was super scared of her, okay? And she's like, hey, would you be willing to get together? And we got together for coffee at From the Hearth. And we sat down, and, and we started talking. And, and I mean, short end of it, from my perspective, I'm like, okay, she's a sorceress. <laughs> she's, she loves tarot cards and witchcraft, and, uh, and I'm a little scared right now. And, and it was interesting because, you know, what Shannon shared is that she was exploring. And she had been looking for truth and she had been looking for love. And she had been, been it, it was like she, all these different things that she was checking out and trying. And yet she kept being empty and hopeless. 
And then she's like, hey, you know what? I'm going to give this Jesus thing a try. And so for seven years, what I've watched is I've seen Shannon um, go from being someone who I literally thought was probably putting a spell on me. Just kidding. <laughs> I was like, took a shower and everything. I got baptized five times. I like started doing Catholic things, you know. I was like embracing it all. I'm not joking though, all right? All that stuff. And then, <laughs> and it's like, hey, I'm going to try Jesus. And I'm going to meet with Jesus. And then I watched as Jesus took her life and started to just knock off these things that were hindering her. And then he starts loving on her and pouring forgiveness into her heart and pouring loving kindness into her heart and giving her compassion and mercy and truth. So now, sometimes Shannon would be like, I don't know, that sounds demonic. And I'm like, it is. That's exactly what it is. I'm glad we're on the same page. And so we see this new life experienced and there's dozens of people in this room who that's your story too, right? You came, I mean, the thing we have to, the the thing that keeps us humble, because part of the problem with the church is that we for years have given this impression that we have it all together. And that's why the people outside the church feel like we're all judgmental hypocrites. Why? Because that's what we do. We exude this self-confidence that we have it all together. Church people know how to dress right. We know how to say all the right things. We can make non-church people feel so outside and ostracized so quickly. And we've forgotten that what the Bible says is that for all have fallen short of the glory of God. There is nothing that we bring to the table in and of ourselves. I've said many a time, we are never going to stand before God in the future and be like, praise me for making this genius decision to follow you, God. I am so smart and worthy of my own praise. We are going to stand before God and we are going to weep and we are going to give him glory because of his unmatchless grace and mercy for us. Are you with me? Like we don't bring anything to the table. You and I, we're all broken. And if you hang out at my house during the week, you will quickly realize that everybody in my family is also broken too. We're all broken. Like there's nobody in this room that has it all together. Like that's, that's the reason why we need to have humility, amen? Like we need to let people out there know that we're just as messed up we're just as disenfranchised. We're just as ostracized. We're just as, as, as broken as anybody out there. We have discovered grace. We have discovered truth. And we have found a way of living that invites us into a new way of thinking and acting that actually restores us to the way that God intended to be more like Jesus. So Paul is really, he's really hammering on this new life thing. And you know, when I was thinking about this conversation uh, with, with Shannon, this is what I thought was really interesting. As she was like sharing her story with me, um, and I don't know if you've ever had this happen, but as somebody's sharing their story with you, and they're telling you all about the different things that they're involved in. Have you ever found yourself like hearkening back to Saturday Night Live? <laughs> it's like, hmm. Are you with me? Any, anybody, any Gen Xers in the room remember the church lady? Yeah. All right. Everybody who does not remember the church lady, you're a millennial. It's okay. But it's like when you really get down to it, when you really get down to it, um, 
there's, there, there is a war that we're a part of right now. And I don't mean like, hey, you know, store up your guns and, you know, save up all that, all that ammo and get some food, cans of food. I'm talking about spiritual warfare happens, okay? And there is an enemy at work, and then there is the kingdom of God. Paul says in Colossians, he says that we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son whom he loves. So there's a kingdom of God and there's a kingdom of darkness. And, and what we are is we're in a clash of kingdoms right now. And that's why, if we're honest, some weeks we do real good. Have you ever noticed that? You're having a really good week. You're like, man, I'm killing it. My cryptocurrency is up. I don't know. I'm doing good. You know, like, oh man, my marriage is, woo, we're, we're on the same page. I haven't gotten an Instagram reel from my wife all week. What? And then the next week, it's like all you're getting is Instagram reels and you guys don't talk to each other. And every time you go anywhere, you're in a fight with somebody, right? It's because there's a clash of kingdoms. And the more that we position ourselves in the kingdom of God, the more that we're able to overthrow the works of the enemy because he has no authority over us. Amen. So we have to really lean into this, into this reality of who we are, who we belong to, and what God has done in our lives. Because once we meet Jesus and his spirit begins to work in our lives, we are united by one indisputable fact. We are far more loved and far more given grace than we could ever imagine. And God wants to pour that out to everybody else. So Paul says here, he says, it doesn't matter where you come from and what tribe you are from or what social group you identify. Once you become a follower of Jesus, you are different. And all that matters is Jesus. All that matters is Jesus. But then he, he kind of fleshes up this other thing here in this, in this passage of scripture. He starts talking about getting dressed up as a follower of Jesus. Now, from an early age, I don't know if you've noticed this, but we all learn how to play dress up pretty quickly. Like, you know, I've got three daughters. I grew up with five younger sisters. That's why I was in therapy for about 40 years. But moving on, point being is that I saw early on that little girls, generally speaking, learn how to play dress up and, and dress up like princesses and things like that. All right, and then little boys, they also play dress up, but they play, play dress up as firefighters or army guys or like my youngest son when he was a small child and probably he's nine, he's not in here, is he? Because I'm embarrassed him. Probably last week, he would still say, I want to be SWAT. And he had this sweet SWAT outfit, okay? I mean, like it was legit, you know, like he's tactical and everything. But like we learned those things, right? And then we get into high school and... People learn how to dress up for the formals and the dances and the proms and things like that. And I love some guys in this room like, man, I don't dress up. I don't play dress up. And then they'll spend $5,000 on hunting or fishing clothing. You ever notice that? It's like, I don't play dress up, you know, but they got like every, everything. Paul's talking about that in, in relation to being a follower of Jesus now. He's saying, you got to dress up. You got to clothe yourself with certain things. But as a follower of Jesus, what we wear for clothing is far less important than what we wear for our character and our disposition. That's what Paul is saying here. Paul says that we need to gear up wearing certain things. He says we need to be tender-hearted. We need to have, we need to clothe ourselves with tender-hearted mercy 
And that word in, in the Greek is actually this concept of compassion, where it's, it's deep emotional compassion for other people. The first time I ever went on, a, on an international mission trip, I think I was, I, I want to say I was like 30-something or 29, and, and I ended up going to Kenya. And one of the things that we did while we were in Kenya, and if, by the way, if you've never gone on an international mission trip, you should make that a goal to do in the next few years. Because the first time I went, I was so transformed by the whole experience. But the first thing we did is we went to the slum where there's over a million, like a million, 1.5 million people live in this slum. Okay, imagine that. Small, I mean the smallest space where there's just hut, just these little shacks with, with million people. And we went there and we did this feeding for all these children that just live there that, that, are, that are orphans, essentially. And I saw this one child, you know, sitting on, on the grass and, and like our, our meal that we gave him that day was the only meal he might get for the whole entire week. And I got in the car and I was, I mean, I was overwhelmed. I was undone. I was emotionally unable to process everything that was happening. And that was because of a, a huge amount of this tender-hearted mercy in, that just overwhelmed me. And that's, that's what Paul's saying is that we should... We should live in that state. Every morning we should put our clothes on. We should clothe ourselves with tender-hearted mercy. Then he mentions kindness. Our whole entire sermon series is built around this, this idea. What if there was a conspiracy in Red Bluff for us as a church community to do everything we could to extend kindness to the world around us? Can you imagine that? I mean, what if, what if we were known for that amongst other things, but we were known for our kindness? It's kind of like two things, you know, we're, we've talked about this Love Red Bluff outreach we want to do on March 16th. And, and the whole idea is we were praying about it and talking about it is, is one of the areas that people oftentimes are really overwhelmed in is, is single parents who, who maybe live in a place where they don't have their own, their own washer and dryer. So like, well, what if we gathered up all of our spare change? And we went and we paid for everybody's laundry in that morning. I mean, would that be a help for anybody? Yeah. Like all these single parents I talked to are like, oh yeah. Why? Because it's like $483 to do one load of laundry now. Right? <laughs> Whatever it is. Like that's one thing. Or even just thinking even more practically as a church. Like what are the things that we can do for people to, to feel like we're, we're aware of them being non-church people? Like trying to be kind as a church. Do you guys know that that matters? Right? Yes? A couple of you do. Okay, well, let's just do a little poll. How many of you realize that being kind and being known for kindness makes a difference in our community? A few of you, right? Okay. So can we, can we talk about a practical way to do that? All right. Um, okay, I'm going to do it then. So we have these parking spots that say reserved for visitors. I'm just going to leave it at that. Uh, someone, I, when I, during the week, I generally park right in front of the door. If you ever drive by the building, you'll notice it. Somebody called me out this week, and I was like, I was like nobody's here. They're like, oh, yeah, but you shouldn't park there. I was like, you're right. So that's one thing. Or if you were, okay, let's just say you're not a churchy person, and you think that churches are all judgy and hypocritical, but a couple people invite you to the vineyard and you've never really been to church. You like aren't really sure what's going to go on when you get to church. You guys might, they might break out some snakes and drink some Kool-Aid. 
You're like, not sure, right? Okay. And then you come, where do you think you'd want to sit if you were brand new? Very back. Yeah, where all the older people sit. That was just Joanne, just to be clear. I didn't mean anybody else. But, I mean, on a, in a real level, one thing that we've been talking about as our leadership team is actually putting out signs that in some of our back rows says reserved for visitors because it's true. Do any polling. Where do people want to sit when they're checking a church? I know where I sit. I don't sit in the front because I don't know about them crazy people. They might make me do something, right? And, and there's just these little things that we can do as a church to extend kindness. Are you with me? Like just little things like that. But Paul says you have to clothe yourself with kindness. And then to build on that, he says humility. Humility, simply put, is putting other people's needs above my own. Like I'm going to humble myself, even though I want to park in the very front. I'm going to park on the street and walk. Or he goes on to talk about gentleness. Now, the Greek word here is really interesting. The original language of the New Testament was, was written in Greek. And, and Paul uses this word where the definition is this, the quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. That's what gentleness is. Being gentle is that I'm not so impressed with my own identity. I'm not overly, I'm aware of who I am and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna respond to respond correspondingly. And then he says, patience, clothe yourselves with patience. And the examples he gives for that, what does it look like to be patient? He says, making allowances for each other's faults and forgiving anyone who offends you. That's how you're patient. Anybody ever been offended in the room? Anybody need to make some allowances around here? Yeah, he's saying that's what you do. You, you need to clothe yourself with these things. And all these various types of clothes that we are called to put on are really just examples of love. Let's stand up. C.N. Bovey has this beautiful quote. Because I always feel like some of us in the room are like, I don't know if I can do some of this stuff. Okay, Listen to what this person says. Kindness is a language which the dumb can speak, the deaf can understand. That's a good quote, ain't it? I'm like, I feel a little insulted, but I also agree. Listen to that again. Kindness is a language which the dumb can speak, the deaf can understand. So like, you might be here and you're like, listen, I just started this whole church Jesus thing. I don't know where all the Bible verses are. I don't know the answer to all the questions that people have. Well, that may be true, but guess what? You can, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and as God works in your life, you can extend kindness to people. And then the beautiful thing is that everybody around us, everybody we know, they can understand that. They can understand acts of kindness. And like, I don't care who you are. What I've seen in 25 years of ministry is I've seen hardened people. People who are like, there's no way you're going to get through to me. My parents were abusive. My mom was an alcoholic. My dad left me when I was 12. I have been robbed. I have been cheated. I have been treated like garbage my whole life. I have some walls built around my heart. You're not going to get through. What I have seen is that random acts of kindness chip away at those walls and they get through by the power of the Spirit working in other people's lives because that's the ingredient that we have to, we have to rely on. 
is that it's not us trying to convince people by our words or our actions. Our words and our actions are the way that God convinces people. Are you with me? All right, let's pray. And just, you know, with everybody in the room, if it helps you to close your eyes, you can. Um, oftentimes I like to pray with just my hands held open like this, just to let God know that I want to receive from him. And you're welcome to do that. But we do ask Holy Spirit for you to continue to be at work right now. Continue to come and speak to us. And God, we want to respond to what you are doing in our hearts and in this room right now. We don't want to rush anything, God. We want you to have your way. And just, I just sense, I think that God is at work. In fact, I, I can just discern God's presence in this room and I sense his presence. And, and um, the first thing I, I just sense before Don shares a couple things is uh, I have this sense that there's a number of you in this room that like you're that person you've had, You've had things that you've experienced and you've had, you've had hardness and, and walls and that's only natural. I mean, when we, get, when we go through certain things, it's only normal um, to, to have those things happen. But what I want you to know this morning is that God is, is chipping away and you might not even realize it, but every single week that you're here, when you're around other people, what God's doing is he's softening your heart. And I have this sense of, of God is, is wanting to heal. He wants to continue to heal your heart, your life from the hurts and the pain that you've experienced. And, and all of the stuff that you've gone through, you've wrestled with and you have felt like, why did that happen to me? If God loved me, I wouldn't have gone through that. And what you need to hear this morning is that when evil things happen, when bad things happen, it's not because God wants you to go through that. It's because there is an enemy and God is at work and, and God's called us to help each other. And he, 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 he's, he's, he loves you. He wants you to experience healing from those things. And so if you're here this morning and you are like, yeah, I've, I've, I've gone through some stuff. I've wrestled with some things. I have, I have got some pain and some grief and some, some hurts and some sorrows. I want, I want to pray for you right now in a moment. And, and I think that God's going to bring some healing right now. I think God is going to bring some healing into your life right now. And as Luke was, Luke was sharing um, this morning too, just if you can just um, be one with yourself and be one with God right now, we all come with brokenness in our lives. Every single person here has some type of brokenness. And this is the space where God wants um, just to heal us. Like Luke was saying, um, maybe that is forgiving people who have offended you in the past or what currently what's going on in your life. Jesus wants um, us to forgive those people just like he forgives us on a daily basis. And we also have to make allowance for people's faults too. He spoke about that. So really press in on those words and see what God wants to do in your lives. 
right now. So here's what we're going to do. Um, again, just just one way for us to respond. If you want to receive from God any of those things, I'm, you don't have to do this, but I, like I would encourage you just to hold your hands out like this. Keep your eyes closed. This is not about the people around you right now, but we hold our hands just like this. And, and one of the reasons why I learned that early on in my faith is because our spirituality, our faith is embodied. What we do with our bodies actually matters. And this is just a way for me to worship and to, and to welcome God and to let him know, I want you to fill me up. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would bring healing into this room. Those in this room who have, who have experienced deep-seated pain, who have, who have experienced trauma, who have been treated poorly, who have been abused, who have been treated in ways that were, were not loving and not full of grace and mercy, would you right now begin and continue your healing work right now in the name of Jesus? I, I pray that you would, you would remove, those, um, remove those traumas from impacting the folks in this room. That your kingdom would come right now, that peace would rule in each person who is saying, yes, God, heal me. Would your peace rule in their hearts? And then Lord, for those of us in this room who, who can identify with what Don just shared, that we, we're holding unforgiveness, that we're, we're maybe angry at you or angry at others, and we're, we're, we need help, God. Would you also help in those areas? Would you bring healing in those areas? Would you bring freedom in those areas, God? And Lord, I thank you that what we're, what we're talking about here is not a one and done thing, but that every day we're, we're called to put on these clothes. Every day we're called to look to you and say, fill us up, Holy Spirit. And so would you, Lord, continue your work that this process of becoming more and more and more like Jesus would continue. And that you would help us to, to be people who really do love your presence, love your work. Lord, as we transition from this space of gathering, God, would you go with us and would you help us to do our best to bring the kingdom, the love, the forgiveness, the patience, the kindness to the world around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.